Thanks for being here. Thanks for joining us online. Hey, wasn't baptism amazing? Let's go, somebody. What in the world? Hey, you may be wondering, you know, when they're in the water and we don't have it mic'd up and you're wondering what they're saying to people in the water. That, I get asked that question a lot. Like, what, what are they saying? And what they're telling them is the secret words to get into heaven. You should know that. And so if you don't get baptized, you won't know how to get in. That is just a joke. So don't believe that. I'm just kidding. But what they are saying is, who is your Lord and Savior? And they'll say, Jesus. Uh, and then they'll say, in the name of the Father who loves you, the Son who died for you, and the Spirit who lives in you. I baptize you, bam, bam, and then we're done, right? And so what a great example and a great way to start off uh, to be a part of Sunday doing that, as Ryan said, at both campuses. So real exciting times around here. Today, we are in the series on Jonah. Let's all say Jonah together. Jonah. You know, this is the last week in the series of Jonah. It's been a great series. I'm a little sad to see Jonah go. Uh, but the whole point of Jonah is that there's a God who runs after runaways, there's a God who runs after runaways, and he doesn't run after runaways to ruin us, but to restore us and to rewrite our story, to rescue us. This is why God is after people, to help them, not to hurt them. And so many new people here every week. I'm just going to kind of give a recap of where we are in this story, and then we'll jump into today's uh, teaching. So, so in, in the very first, in the beginning of the story of Jonah, God comes to Jonah, and Jonah's a prophet, so Jonah technically works for God. So Jonah, God comes to Jonah to give him some instructions. And he tells Jonah, go to the city of Nineveh and tell them about me. Go to the city of Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was brutal, barbaric. It, it, as you look at evil in cities, they would be at the top. It was full of prostitution and wickedness and child sacrifice. You know, bodies were thrown in the street. It was evil and despicable and deplorable. And God tells Jonah to go there. And Jonah's like, I don't think so. Doesn't feel like a good idea to me. I'm not going. So Jonah says no. And Jonah just doesn't just say no, Jonah goes in the other direction. Jonah runs away from God. Jonah buys a boat to go to this city called Tarshish. Now Tarshish was, would have been a vacation spot. It would have been kind of like going to somewhere on the Mediterranean, blue ocean, nice sand, sunrise, lounge chair. That's where Jonah was headed. And Jonah had the resources to do what he wanted to do. He had reasons not to go, and he had the resources not to go. Anybody ever feel that around here? You know, sometimes we can be independent because of what we have, and we can think we don't need God. And this is what Jonah thought. But, Jonah, but God knew what was best for Jonah, and he wasn't done. So God comes after him. God runs after Jonah. So he has it. Jonah gets on the ship. There's a storm that happens. Jonah gets thrown in the water. And while Jonah's in the water, fearing drowning, a large fish comes and swallows him at, for three days. Now, but, now, I know what you're thinking. Like, Ooh, that, is that like real? Do, do, do we believe that? Hey, listen, church, we believe Jesus rose from the dead. A body and a fish is not a big deal, right? Like, like we have bigger miracles than that that we believe in. So God keeps Jonah alive for three days in the belly of a fish. Jonah prays. He repents. He turns. He turns his life to God. So God commands the fish, spits Jonah out on, on dry land, and Jonah heads to Nineveh to do what God told him to do in the first place. And Jonah preaches. Jonah preaches a very simple sermon. Forty days, Nineveh will be destroyed. That's simple. And Nineveh repents. 120,000 people begin to follow God. They turn from their evil ways. They mourn from the things that they've done. And Jonah wins. Now, and we see this in actually in Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. It says, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he didn't do it. This is success. And most times, this is where you take the victory lap. This is where you would cut down the nets 
for victory. This is where you tear down the goalposts. This is where a pastor who had that kind of impact, man, they're, they're posting on their social media. They're getting t-shirts made about it. They're starting a podcast. They're writing a book. They're going on the circuit. Like this was massive success for Jonah. We see more people come and repent than Billy Graham, Charles Spurgeon, Rick Warren combined. Jonah was successful, but Jonah was miserable. And in Jonah's misery, we see the real way that he was a runaway. And what we're going to see today is that Jonah didn't start running when he didn't go to Nineveh the first time. He started running way before that. And he runs in a way that all of us run away from God. Hey, so let's grab our Bibles. We're going to be in Jonah chapter 4 to finish up in Jonah today. Also, just want to remind you of the reading plan. You know, we've had a different reading plan every week for each chapter in Jonah, and we're going to be on Jonah chapter four. You can scan that QR code or also the one in your seat and to join in the plan. We've had over 10,000 people go through these plans every week, and it's a time for you to be able to actually read your Bible, and it'll help keep you uh, kind of in the flow. It's very simple, very short, especially, you know, if you're just starting, you've never read your Bible before, this will be really, really good for you. Um, it gives a devotional thought. I'll usually comment on the plan, and then, uh, and that will always be amazing. Amen, right? You know, you're going to get that, but um, also just a way for you to just help God's words soak into your heart to change your life. So Jonah chapter four. And so I'm going to do this a little different today. I'm going to read through the passage all at once, but kind of stop and take breaks and uh, explain it and then come back and make some application points about how we can actually live this out. So remember Jonah's one, he's successful. Everything you, anybody would ever have wanted in life happened. First verse in Jonah chapter four, it says, but it displeased, displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. Like, not what you're expecting. Jonah has one of the most unexpected, unpredictable endings of any story in the Bible. He was angry. Why would you be angry when you won? Verse 2, since he prayed to the Lord, and he said, Lord, it's not this what I said when I was set yet in my own country. That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in love, relenting from disaster. Therefore now, Lord, take my life from me. It's better for me to die than to live. So Jonah is now mad because God did what he said he could do. Jonah had right beliefs. He knew who God was. He's actually quoting scripture right here when he talks about the compassionate, never-ending, merciful love of God. He's got right beliefs, yet he's like, ah, oh, this is so terrible. I just want you to take my life. You see, Jonah wasn't afraid to go to Nineveh because of what the Ninevites might do to him. He was afraid to go to Nineveh to, because of what God might do to the Ninevites that he might forgive them. So verse four, God asked him a question. Do you do well to be angry? God, like, Jonah, is this okay? Do you think this is right? Do you think this is appropriate for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. So you see what Jonah's doing? He's giving, he's giving God the cold shoulder. If, any, any spouses in here, you give, the cold, you give the, the cold shoulder to your spouse whenever you're mad at them. Please don't raise your hand. Um, <laughs> but this is what Jonah's doing. I'm going to ignore you because I don't like what you did. So he goes outside the city and builds a booth to cover himself from the sun because it's very hot in the Middle East. Then he goes on to say he sat under, he sat under the booth in the shade till he, he could see what would become of the city. He says, now the Lord God appointed a plant and he made, it right, he made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head and save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. In four chapters in the book of Jonah, there's one time he's glad. It's when he gets a plant to be shade over his head. 
when he gets some favor from God. This is the only time. Now, lest we underestimate what's happening here, it's in the Middle East, it's very hot, it's scorching hot, you can get dehydrated. Jonah is glad for the plant because he gets comfort. And what can happen if we're not careful, man, we will sacrifice our lives for the comfort of the plan, for, of the plant and forsake the call of God in our lives. Man, we will give our lives into comfort and pursue comfort and nice and easy, and we will give up the call of God in our lives. And this is what Jonah's doing. The only time Jonah is happy, like, are you happy, only happy when God gives you the things that you think you want? But God wants more for Jonah, so he keeps pursuing him. It says, when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that it was faint. And he asked that he might die. And he said, it's better for me to die than to live. Now, Jonah is so distressed, so distraught, he wants to die. Yet God keeps coming after him. Now, this is serious business, isn't it? Because some of you may feel this way today. You may feel anxious and stressed. You may feel suicidal and depressed. You may feel like nobody cares, nobody values you, and you don't know where to turn. The story of Jonah is you've got a guy coming after you, a God who loves you, a God who gives you value, and a God who wants you to be restored and to be whole and to, and to live with encouragement and hope in the future. Man, if that's you today, God's chasing you by putting you in this room today. So let's not follow, follow the path of Jonah. Let's follow the path of God. So we see him go on. God asked him again, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, like he's in full on temper tantrum right here, right? Like have you ever been in the grocery store and a little kid, like a three-year-old doesn't get the candy they want and they just flail out in the middle of the floor screaming? Anybody, nobody, anybody? Anybody ever had a kid do that? I mean, my kids were perfect, but your kids probably not. Like it is, if you've never experienced that, you haven't lived yet. You're not really parenting until you experience that. This is what Jonah's doing. And so, and Jonah's just, you pity the plant. And God says to him, you pity the plant for which you did not labor. You didn't make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. In other words, it was just, it was just alive that quick. Should I not pity Nineveh? That great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who don't know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. And so in that, we see the graciousness, love of God. You know, you know the thing that Jonah had, Jonah had right belief. Like he, he believed the right things about God. He, he'd been to the Bible studies. He had been to the worship services. Man, he had done schooling. He'd been to Bible school. I mean, Jonah knew the right things. He had right belief. This was not a theology problem. It's not how he was running away. Jonah actually had right behavior. If you think about it, he did what God wanted him to do. He went to Nineveh begrudgingly, but he went. See, Jonah did, he had, a right, he had the right behavior. He had the right beliefs, but Jonah had the wrong heart. Jonah had the wrong heart. And this is what God is after. He's after who we are at the core of our being. God is after who we center our lives on, us or on him. You see, in this moment, we have a tale of two hearts. We have Jonah's heart. We have God's heart. And we have Jonah's heart that's judgmental and God's heart that is forgiving. We have Jonah's heart that's selfish and God's heart sacrificial. We have Jonah's heart that is centered on himself. We have God's heart who is centered on his people. And we get to choose. Like, which heart do we want to live out of? The Jonah heart, the self-centered heart, the me first mentality that everything revolves around me or God first, God's purposes, God's love, God's glory. Like we, we, get, to, we get to pick. And this is, 
This is the story. This is the question that's posed to us in the story of Jonah. This question is aimed at us. I mean, Jonah was a runaway, and he's the runaway the same way that we are. You know, Yom Kippur is one of the high holy days in the Jewish religion. And one of the things that they will do during this particular time is they will read through the book of Jonah, and at the end, everyone will say together, we are Jonah. Just to remind themselves of areas where they're Jonah, and we are. And what we see God going after is not the rules and regulations. It's not the religious rituals. It's, it's our heart. It's our motivation. It's how we operate. Jesus said this. He says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Me- meaning they give me lip service. Some of you may have experienced this. Um, when you were a kid, you'd be like, yeah, yeah, mom, I'll get to that. Having no intention of ever doing that. This is what happens when, when we honor God with our lips, but our hearts are far from him. Jesus says this about the heart, how important it is and how essential it is for us. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 35, Jesus says this, the good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. The evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. And, and he goes on to talk about this is the heart. This is where it starts. It all comes from the heart. And God is after our hearts to be restored, renewed, and to be, and to be centered on him. And he starts it with questions. Do you do well to be angry? And the reason why God asks questions so that we'll see things the way they really are. You know, when someone begins to ask questions about symptoms in your life, you're trying to get under the hood. Like whenever you go to the doctor, let's say you go and you have a sore throat. Well, there's a lot of remedies to that depending on what the root cause is. You know, you may just need some painkillers for a little while and it's going to go away. You may need an antibiotic because you've got an infection. You may, may need to get your tonsils out because they're inflamed. But unless you get underneath the hood, you're not going to know. And this is what the questions of the Bible are designed to do. What is going on underneath the hood of our lives that we can identify that shows that our heart is more like Jonah and less like God? You know, he, he starts with his anger. And one of the things that we would do well to do is to pay attention to your anger. The same way Jonah had anger, we need to pay attention to our anger. Like, why, why, why do we get angry? Now, in, usually when we think of anger, we usually think of the emoji that we send in a text message when we're angry. I think we have that. Anybody ever sent that? Anybody sent that today, right? I mean, exploding head emoji, that look, that's kind of the symbol for anger. But in the Bible, what we see is anger is a disrupted heart. It's a disrupted heart. It's a heart that's not whole. It's a heart that's been torn apart. There's something going on underneath the surface that we don't know about. And anger is a secondary emotion. It's called, it's called the iceberg emotion. You know, icebergs, you only see the 10% that's above the waterline and 90% is below the waterline. And that's the way it is with anger. It's, when you see someone who's angry, you're not really seeing the reason why they're angry. Usually it's, it's, uh, it comes out of some fear or anxiety, loss of control, some sadness that may be going on underneath the surface. This is where anger comes from. Man, and people are angry these days. Have you noticed this? Like people are angry. Just go anywhere and you can see how angry people are. Like go to a restaurant and people are going to just be complaining about how slow it is and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, don't you know that they've only got like one and a half people working in this store these days? Like things are different now. There's something else going on. People are angry. We're angry politically. We're angry about mandates. We're angry about the state of the price of gas. You know, we're, we are just, we are angry 
people and we get angry at things that we shouldn't get angry about. But what it tells us is there's something else underneath the surface of someone's life. Have you ever met someone and they were so miserable? You're like, what, what in the world is going on at home? Like you are so angry. There's got to be more that's happening. We, we should always recognize this, that something else is happening in someone's life that we don't know anything about. I remember when uh, we had one of our sons was in uh, an accident years ago and was in, uh, had an extended hospital stay in ICU. So Debbie and I were having to go back and forth, spending the night uh, one night and spending the night the next night. And so it was, it was stressful and we were tired and it was down at Eggleston, which is way down there. I mean, it's like in Key West, you know, it feels like it when you have to drive down there. So one day I'm headed down to relieve Debbie and I pull in Costco to get some gas. And this was back when they had signs everywhere that were there. It says, don't talk on your cell phone while you're getting gas. You're going to explain the place, you know, and so everybody was worried about, is that really a thing, by the way? Just kidding. Um, but so I'm talking on my phone because I'm talking to my wife about what's happening at the hospital. And this kind lady wants to come and help me understand how dangerous that is to be talking on the phone while I'm pumping gas. I'm like, dangerous? Do you know what dangerous is? No, I didn't do that really. Um, but that could be an anger response. And what that tells us is most of the time people have no idea what's happening in our lives. Like for some of you right now, like you came to church and you dress nice and you're smiling, but you're dying on the inside. Like there's something going on in your life. There's some sadness, there's some brokenness, there's some confusion, some uncertainty in your life, and you're just dying on the inside. And nobody knows. And we should give other people the same, the, the same grace, shouldn't we? And what are you angry about? And, and what does your anger say about the state of your heart? When you think about what you get angry about, what does it say about your heart? Is it hurting? Is it selfish? Is it jealous? Is it breaking for something? Is it sad? Is it afraid? Are you trying to hide something? Like, what does your anger say about your heart? Man, for Jonah, his anger revealed what he cared about the most. And Jonah cared about Jonah the most. And this is what his anger reveals in his life you see, this plant is just this object lesson for him. And the plant just is designed to help highlight in his life how selfish he is and how addicted to the blessing of God he is and not God himself. You know, the first thing we see is Jonah gives this sense of entitlement, this sense of, God, I deserve that plant. <laughs> I, I've worked for you. I've done the things you wanted me to do. I deserve this. He has this sense of entitlement. You ever met anybody who felt entitled in the world? Like one of the things that we all try to do, I think, as parents, if you're a parent, it's like we want our kids to have it better than we did, but we don't want to be entitled. We want to have to work for it just a little bit. Because we know if you feel entitled, you'll never make progress in life because you don't think you have to do anything. And so we, we have these feelings of entitlement, and we find ourselves leveraged to the hilt because we're entitled to all the things our friends have, even though we don't make as much money as they do. I mean, we'll take vacations, we'll, we'll try to put on appearances, we'll buy cars, and we'll buy things because we think we deserve them. Everybody else has them. This is the story of Jonah. The, the other thing that Jonah has is just this judgmentalism. Man, Jonah is judgy. Man, Jonah, Jonah's judgy. He thinks he's better than the Ninevites. That's why he didn't want to go there. Jonah is judgy. Do you, do you ever judge anybody? Like you're on a phone call with someone this week and you just judge them. You run into somebody at the gym and you're like, man, why are they wearing that? Their body type's not made for that. You know, this, <laughs> I don't know where that came from, but 
Hey, this is just how we roll around here. <laughs> Debbie and I were on the phone this week. Well, she was on the phone. So uh, uh, a little over, almost, it's been almost two years now. We started getting a bill from the hospital for, an, for a doctor's appointment that happened like April of 2020 when nobody was going to the doctor. Everything was canceled. We didn't go. And we've been getting this bill for two years. And finally, they turned it over to collections. And I'm thinking to myself, what moron is running that place down there? You know, not really. But we tend to judge people like that. Hey, you ever been up on Birmingham Highway, got behind a box truck and like, can't you drive faster? I mean, have you ever been on the phone with someone? If you've never seen judgment, you should go down to the airport when it's raining and flights are delayed and stand in the Delta ticket line and just see what happens. And we can judge people so fast. There's a phrase that I always try to remember. And that phrase is this. Be kind, for everyone faces a great battle. And we don't know what people are going through. We don't know what help they have. We don't know if that person on the phone that we're talking to and criticizing is just working this third job so they can provide for their kids. We don't know that that truck driver who's stopping traffic outside has been away from his home for over a week, just wanting to get back and see his family. Man, we never know. You know, Paul wrote in Romans chapter 3, excuse me, Romans chapter 12, Verse three, Paul wrote this. He says, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. So we get that. We shouldn't think that we're better than anybody. Now, now on the flip side of that, we shouldn't think that we're lower than anybody either. We all have equal value. We're all deeply loved and highly favored by God. He says, but we should think with sober judgment. We should take an accurate assessment of ourselves is what Paul is saying here. Now, 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 we have to ask ourselves the question, where do I feel entitled or judgmental? Where do I feel entitled? Like I deserve something or I'm better than somebody? And we have to assess with sober judgment to see accurately. See, God is wanting truth in the inmost being. That's why he asks questions. He wants us to know the answer to the question because he already knows the answer to the question. Now, the way out... The way out, the way to have a sober assessment of ourselves is through a very simple word, and it's called gratitude. It's called gratitude. And gratitude is more than just writing a thank you note when someone gets us a gift. It's more than saying thank you when someone holds the door for us. I mean, gratitude is this firm belief that everything I've got is a gift from the Lord, that I should say thank you for everything that i got. That when I wake up in the morning and I see the weather and I have a new day and I'm able to move forward, I say thank you for that. When I hear the birds chirping outside and the sun's, and the sun's up later in the day now that time has changed, I should say thank you for that. And the fact that I have some productivity and I have relationships, the fact that I can come to church and watch people's lives get changed and participate in that. And we should just have this heart of gratitude because here's what happens. An ungrateful heart, you will always have an underachieving life. Listen, if you have an ungrateful heart, you will always have an underachieving life. Now, we like to say we, we're a bunch of overachievers, and we are. I mean, our community, we are overachievers. Man, we go after it. We find something. We go get it. We work hard. But have you ever met underachievers? You ever met someone when you look at them and talk to them like, oh, they, they look like us and dress like us, and, but they don't talk like us. And they seem to always be hitting roadblocks in life. And everything that happens negative to them Guess whose fault it is? Somebody else's. And there's never a path forward when you live with an ungrateful heart. And this is Jonah's problem. 
Jonah lives in this entitled heart, this me heart. He's not grateful for all that God had done through him. 120,000 people got saved. Like he made a difference in the world. And he's still angry and displeased at God. But then we see God's heart show up. We have Jonah's heart, selfish, small, underachieving. Then we see God's heart there at the end of that chapter. It says, the Lord said, you pitied the plant, which you didn't labor. You didn't make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left? And so we see God's heart. What's funny is he says they don't know their right hand from their left. He's not criticizing them. He's not being like, "Ah, they're idiots. They don't know what they're doing. They can't even determine left or right. What he's saying is like they're little children that need help. What he's saying is they don't know the way out. They have no idea how good I am. They've never understood the promises of God, and you should go show them. You see, Jonah, Jonah was angry. He had a disrupted heart. God was compassionate, which means he had a broken heart. And that's the difference between Jonah and God. And many times that's the difference between us and God. You know, the word that's used when God, when he says, I pitied the Ninevites, it's that word for compassion. We get an illustration of this in the Bible. It comes from, the word comes from a a word that talks about a mom caring deeply, being deeply disturbed for her children, wanting to care deeply, being deeply moved to care for her children. There's a story over earlier in the Bible about King Solomon. Maybe you've heard of him. Solomon was known as the wisest king to ever live. If Solomon were alive today, he would have greater wealth. He would be the number one uh, richest person in the world, more than anybody who's alive today, because he had so much fortune and so much wisdom. And one of the first opportunities he had to express that wisdom was, was with two moms. These two moms had re- both just had newborns. And unfortunately, one of the moms, her baby had died. And so at night, she went and buried her child and came and stole the other baby from the other mom. So they had this dispute, this argument. Nobody could figure out who's, who's ba- who, who, who the baby belonged to. So they go to Solomon. Solomon, in all his wisdom, says this, hey, just cut the child in half. Y'all can share. And one mom said, no, 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 no. You can have the baby. I'll go without. And Solomon said, that's the real mom. Because he saw her compassion for her child. And this is the compassion that God has for us. Cares deeply for us. Values us. And is chasing after us. You know, in the Bible, there's been a study in the New Testament about the emotional life of Jesus. Hands down, it was his compassion. Hands down, it was the way he cared for people. It was his patience and pursuit and love of people. This is what we see in the life of Jesus. Man, we have to ask ourselves the question, when does my heart break? What does your heart break for? What does your heart break for? You know, it's okay to be angry at times. As long as you're angry for the things God is angry about. Like, what do you think God is angry about? Fatherless children, refugees, homeless, people who are lost without a way home, people who are living without purpose and hope, people who have no belief in their future. Man, that's what God is angry about. That's why God's heart 
breaks. And what does your heart break for? You know, at the end of the day, the story of Jonah isn't really about Jonah. And it's not, it's not even about the Ninevites. You see, the story of Jonah is the story of Jesus. You know, there's a place in the Bible where Jesus says he is the greater Jonah. Over in Matthew chapter 12, they come to Jesus and they ask him for a sign. Right? They're like, hey, show us a sign. Prove that you're real. Hey, hey, we just want to see it because we'll follow you then, even though they wouldn't have. And these are the religious leaders of the day. And so they ask him for a sign, and Jesus says this. He says, you know, this generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except. So, like, what would you put here if you're Jesus? should be something pretty important. He says, no sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So in this moment, Jesus is predicting his death, his burial, and his resurrection as he talks about Jonah. Then he goes on to say, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment of this generation because they repented, meaning Nineveh repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So all the chasing that God did for Jonah is evident and real in the person of Jesus. Man, that Jesus left heaven to come be with us, to move into the neighborhood, to talk about the things that nobody wants to talk about, to help people be free from addiction and marital conflict and destruction and divorce and death and homelessness. Jesus came for that and he chased after us for that. Jesus was notorious for asking questions. And I want to close today with a question that Jesus asked that we all got to wrestle with, that we all got to wrestle with. And this was the question he would ask anybody when they asked him for something, he would say, what do you want? What do you want? And as you examine your life, what do you want? Do you want to just live life under a plant of comfort, consistency, meaninglessness, or do you want to live your life storing up treasure in eternity, a life of purpose and hope and meaning? Like this is the promise that the God is chasing after you today. The promise is life. The promise is freedom. The promise is hope. The promise is a future. The promise is help. That's the promise of God, not anger and condemnation and judgment. Like what do you want? Let's pray together. So we're just going to spend a minute with our heads bowed and eyes closed. God, just grateful for that you chase after us, man. It's amazing just to hear stories of the way you've continued to pursue people. And no matter what they've done, where they've gone, God, you keep coming after them, Lord. And sometimes the hardest hearts are those who've always tried to do right. <laughs> those who've d learned the Bible verses and those who've shown up and those who've tried to be moral, but they feel like they're entitled. And God, you just break down some walls of entitlement this morning. God, that you would just help us to see areas where we're like Jonah, man, where our heart is just self-centered and it's just withering away. And God, you're not able to use us. And I just pray, God, you give us eyes to see that. Lord, that our preferences have become, man, have become our principles, God, that they've become the main thing in our life. And God, you just help us to escape those today. 
Lord, help us to look under the hood of our anger, just to know what you're doing and to see where the real problem is so we can get real solutions and real help, Lord. And so with our heads bowed and eyes closed, just want to be able to help you today. You know, the, the greatest step you will ever take is if you want life and life eternal, the greatest step that you can take is to follow Jesus today. And I just want to help you be able to do that. And just to admit that you're a runaway and to admit even in your heart, and even though people look at you and think you are Mr. and Miss Perfect and you got it all together and you wear the right clothes and drive the right car and live in the right house and have the right bank account and go to the right activities, you know deep down and you're a runaway because your life's become about you and you didn't even mean for that to happen. So I just want to help lead you in a prayer today so that you can be caught today. Dear God, I've been running away. I've tried to prove how good I am and I'm miserable. I choose Jesus today. I want Jesus today. Forgive me of my sin and grant me a new life. You know, with our heads bowed and eyes closed, you know, if that was you today, what the Bible says is God just steps into that moment to give you a new heart. That's what the gospel is. It's not a new behavior. It's a new heart. And if that was you today, I just want to help you mark the moment. So I'm going to count to three. We do this every week. I'm going to count to three. I'm just going to invite you. If you prayed that today, just to slip your hand in the air, let's make eye contact just for you to mark this moment today on the count of three. One, two, three. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. It's awesome. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Got you. Lord, we're just grateful. Man, that man, you just chase after us, God, in ways that we can't even know, in ways that seem like coincidence, God, but you're chasing us down so that you can restore us, redeem us, and rewrite our story. God, I want to pray for people who may come in feeling a little depressed and discouraged today, that they would recognize the hope that they can have in Jesus, the value that they are to you today, God. And I know my words can't do that justice, God, but that you can supernaturally help them experience that love today. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.